Welcome to the Healing Grove Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Ryman, an integrative holistic family physician, author of Life After Lyme, and host in this virtual space of learning, healing, and growing. I believe humans are like trees, and our physical limb is only one of many. Health on all limbs of the tree, emotional, conceptual, social, spiritual, is absolutely required for the whole tree that is you to be vibrantly well. I created the Healing Grove podcast as a place to showcase some of the world's best integrative and holistic medicine, to expose you to transformative tools and mindset shifts for all limbs of your tree. I hope you enjoy our conversation in the Healing Grove today as much as I enjoyed having it. Welcome, Dr. Ben Rall, to the Healing Grove podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I love your background. It looks like we both got the memo. We both got the memo. You're very strict. You're very strict about it. You said, make sure you have books in the background. (laughs) And I was like, color code your books. And that part was a joke, but you took it seriously. (laughs) That's why it's taken us months to do this. I was like, just give me some time then if you're going to be that picky about it. Yes. Anyway, everyone, this is Dr. Ben Rawl. He's a doctor of chiropractic and the owner of Achieve Wellness Clinic, where he currently practices and sees hundreds of patients every week in the Central Florida area. He's committed to educating and empowering individuals on how to apply a vitalistic model of healthcare to their lives and to live well. And we're going to talk in this podcast about what that means. Over the last 20 years, he's worked with businesses, churches, and corporations of all sizes to create corporate wellness programs. And he was actually the official chiropractor for Team USA Wrestling, Weightlifting, and Judo at the 2012 London Olympics. We're definitely going to go there, Ben. Yeah. 2016, Ben authored the book Cooperative Wellness, in which he lays out a powerful, simplified approach to empower people to achieve wellness for themselves and those around them. And he authored a second book, Designed to Heal, which I have received from you. Thank you so much. I've read it too. It's amazing. It's this 365-day daily devotional focused on wellness in 2023 was when that came out. He hosts the five-star rated podcast, Designed to Heal, where he shares stories, research, insights, and helpful information in the world of health and wellness, which I was recently honored to be asked to be interviewed for. Unfortunately, I was sick with, I think, COVID during that time. So if you listen to it, people, you'll notice I sound like Kermit the Frog. Luckily, I recovered because guess what? We're designed to heal. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, nice work. Thank you. So, so Dr. Ben, please tell us a little bit about um, how you came to this journey that you're on that landed you as a chiropractor helping so many people heal. Yeah, well, thanks for, first of all, it's great to be on and really enjoyed having you on ours. Matter of fact, it was already, and this is why I think that this kind of work matters, right? Because you just never know who it touches. And we had you on because I heard some of your story and I just thought your insights were we're just unique, especially from your background, right? Kind of like you said, I come from the chiropractic world, but then you being more on the traditional side, but then hearing your perspective and your journey. And um, so I have had even patients that have already been able to reach out and read your books and get in, engaged in your work. So thank you for that. My wow. journey in, in, in becoming a chiropractor is a little bit wild. Um, so back in the day, I mean, chiropractic as a profession, in some ways, is not that old. It was founded in 1895. Okay. So back then, most people that became chiropractors were people that had a chiropractic experience, right? They had a chiropractic, call them a chiropractic miracle, right? They went in, they had something going on, they got adjusted and they got better and they were so thankful for that. They said, hey, I want to do this. And so there was a, so that's how chiropractic used to be. It's not so much like that anymore, right? It's just, it's evolved in some ways for better or worse. But my journey was 
somewhat of that chiropractic miracle. So kind of like you mentioned, I was at the 2012 Olympics in the official capacity as a, a wellness chiropractor for USA wrestling, USA judo, USA uh, wrestling. But I was training as an athlete for the Olympics in 1996. That was my whole goal. My whole dream was to go to the Olympics. Believe it or not, I was a boxer and I'm from South Dakota, this kind of small, you know, small state. And, but I was a pretty good, I was a pretty good fighter. My dad was a fireman and, and the coach of the local boxing club was a fireman as well. And so that's how it happened. And I started when I was about nine years old, 85 pounds. And I fought all the way up until, you know, into my early twenties. But my Olympics would have been the 1996 Olympics, would have been Atlanta. And I'm out at the, the Olympic Training Center for boxing. There's two places. One's Colorado Springs. One is Northern Michigan University. And I was training out there and I got sick, right? And kind of like you've said, Doc, like I, I didn't grow up holistically in healthcare. I didn't, I didn't grow up anti, but it was just kind of like, I mean, people didn't go to the doctor back then like they do anyways, right? But it was just kind of your average, you know, if you're really dying, maybe we'll go to the doctor kind of a thing. And so I get sick. I don't know what to do. I'm having these digestive issues. My, uh, I call my mom. What do I do? Go to the doctor. They did an upper GI, a lower GI. And I remember when I woke up, the doctor was standing above me, kind of holding those like, you know, computer printouts of all these pictures that he took inside of me when I was unconscious and I just under anesthesia. And I just remember him like seeing like, these big black ulcers, they look like tar. I just remember like, what is that? And then there was these big red bleeding ones and weird stuff and like, you know, mucusy stuff. And I said, what, what is it? He said, these are all precancerous lesions. And I said, um, well, what do I do? And I said, well, how many were there? He said, well, we just stopped counting. There were so many, they were all over. I said, what do I do? He said, you take these drugs. I said, for how long? He said, forever. And um, I didn't know, right? I just, what do you do? I'm 19 years old. I was like, okay. So I took the, I took the medications and again, most, many people have had this journey. It's not as surprising anymore, but I took the medications. They shut down my digestive system. I started to gain weight. I went from 165 pounds to 245 pounds. I got kicked out of the Olympic training center because it's a weight class sport, right? I mean, you couldn't, it just didn't work. I went back home. I often say, you know, I kind of left the hometown hero, but I, I came back just this, you know, sick, fat, depressed guy right and i remember being places like again it wasn't a huge town i remember being at like a store and people i wasn't famous but you know people knew who i was because of the athletic stuff and i remembered like i could just tell people were talking about me right like what happened to ben like what i thought he was going to the olympics and now look at him and this kind of stuff and i was i struggled like that for three and a half years i'd go in every six months get my scans redone my lesions were either getting worse or staying the same and i was frustrated and then somebody said you should go to the chiropractor Oh, again, I was an anti, but I didn't know what that meant, right? I was probably like, what are you going <laughs> to, I mean, what are you going to do, crack my back and this is going to go away? Like if it was really that simple, right? I mean, we would have dealt with this a long time ago, but when you're at the end of your rope, you'll do things, right? I mean, some of your journey that you shared on our show, right? You found yourself at a homeopath's office and a chiropractic office, right? Um, not because you hate medical care, right? But because you were just trying to get answers, right? And so that's the boat I was in. And so I went there and he analyzed my body. And I remember he said two things to me, doc, that changed my, really changed my life. The one that he said was, you know, Ben, I, I don't think your body just forgot how to digest food when you're 19. Like I don't, you know, didn't just wake up one day and go, I don't know what to do anymore. And there's, and you know, there's going to be a cause to that. And then number two, he said, and I don't think your problem is a deficiency in medication. And I was like, huh, you know, it sounds so simple now, maybe even to some of your listeners, they're like, well, yeah, you know, knucklehead, that's not that complicated. But to me at the time, it was groundbreaking. 
but ultimately it's results that matter, right? Like if this stuff didn't work, I wouldn't be a chiropractor. You wouldn't do the work that you do. So um, he began the process, found, found in my case, found some pressure in the area that goes, affects my digestion, began the process of chiropractic adjustments. Now, it doesn't always happen this way, but this is what happened to me. Uh, within a week, I got off the medications that I've been on every single day for three and a half years. I lost 67 pounds in four months. I went back in uh, after that, about two months later, got my scans redone. My lesions were completely healed. Now, I often say this, it's amazing, but it's not a miracle. And what I mean by that is the body is designed to heal, right? I mean, when I finally got to the cause of the problem, which in my case, in part, was related to my spine and nerve system as it relates to my digestion, then my body just did what it wanted to do the whole time, which was just function normally, right? And so that started that journey of me going to chiropractic school. And then just the final thought there, Doc, once I was in school, did they, did you guys at school do like cadavers, like old school? like oh, you? Yeah. 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 And so I don't know what it was like for you, but it was, that was a powerful thing for me like it was I used to be kind of scared of dead and death and you know dead bodies and things like that and so I wasn't really like looking forward to that but there's something very sacred about that I think people that donate their bodies to allow you to work on them and um, we spent a lot of time in the anatomy lab I mean that's like a first year of your your time there at least in chiropractic and I just remember like once you, you know, you work through the body and when we open up the, the chest cavity and you just see the intricacy and I just saw, you know, the heart sitting up against the lungs, against the diaphragm and the stomach and the vessels. And I was so blown away. It was literally like one of those metaphorical come to Jesus moments. Like I just had that moment of, oh my goodness, right? The job of a doctor isn't, I don't think it's that in, in, in part, it's not that we're going to figure this whole thing out. Like it's, it's just too complicated, right? Like it's, it's a lot going on, but a we lot. can honor it, right? We can steward it. We can care for it. Well, you don't have to know everything about a plant to take good care of it, right? You don't have to be a, whatever the word is, an arborist or something. It's Some people need to be, but let water it and get it by the sun and give it some good soil. And so that really became my kind of mission in life other than just helping people understand and appreciate the healing capacity of the, of the human body. I know that was a long answer to your question, but that's how I became a chiropractor. <laughs> no, it's such a beautiful story, Ben. I'm really glad you walked us through it. And I, you know, it's, it's especially powerful coming from someone who wasn't like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are in medicine are born into medicine. Lawyers mm. are born into law. Like you weren't born into chiropractic. Like this was right. something you stumbled upon happily out of necessity and found your way to and totally changed your trajectory and what a powerful mm. testimony that is right of course it would make you want to be able to share that with others mm. yeah. Yeah, um i want to i, I want to it's interesting that you talk about i didn't realize that chiropractic doctors of chiropractic also had to you know went through the mm. whole anatomy series that's news yeah. to me i didn't realize mm, that mm, mm. yeah it is, it is like a rite of passage, right? It's like this rite of passage for doctors and it's um, very powerful and powerfully mm. moving. I remember having moments. We, I mean, we named, did you name your cadaver? We named our cadaver. I still you know, we, we did. It was funny. It's funny you say that because I remember that, you know, they, because when you're young-ish, when you start school, I mean, I know your journey was a little different, but like, you know, you're in your twenties and some of us are just knuckleheads still, right? So they really had to like talk to us about being respectful and the way you talk about even the person and the body. And so I remember them really coaching us like to be careful, right? Cause some people have different responses, right? And so we did end up naming ours. Mine was a very old, there's like 12 of them in a room, 12 cadavers. And so you worked on the same one the whole time in our case, you just stuck, stayed with that body. And mine was an, it was an older woman. She was in her eighties. She had died of natural causes. And uh, if you will. And, um, and so, yeah, we did, we did name her. And then I don't know if they did this for you doc, but they actually a lot, they had a, a 
a service at the end and you could go meet the families. And again, just, I don't know. It was such a, looking back, I haven't told that story in a long time. Just looking back, it's a, it it is kind of a rite of passage because it kind of, it kind of starts to test you. Right. And uh, to steal you in a way, right? Like, do you, do you have the, do you really want to get in this, this game, right? It's a high stakes. You're dealing with people's life and health. I take it very, when I say serious, I don't just mean, I take this serious, right? Interacting with other people, especially in the capacity as a, as a, as a cool doctor, I don't care what kind of doctor you're right. They're listening, they're looking to you for advice. And, you know, they might actually listen to your advice, right? Yeah. So you want it to be... One or two might. Or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, thankfully, sometimes they ignore my advice because maybe it's not good, but right, exactly. But Yeah, yeah, it's a high stakes game. And I I, I think that initial rite of passage is, is at the beginning, at least in a lot of programs, in order to help yeah. really kind of, you put your stake in the ground with that experience. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, the second year of med- medical school, I actually taught anatomy. And as a result, I and my anatomy partner, my teaching partner had another body and we, we were like, you know, two steps ahead of the students. So we would do the, Mm. we did the whole cadaver dissection again over the course of six months. And in some ways I was, I think more moved the second time. Mm. And I don't know what that says about sort of what, you know, defenses I had up the first time through, Mm. but um, going through the second time, part of it too, was the second, the second cadaver I had was a gentleman who was much older than my first, my first. And he was, he had a lot of similarities. A lot of things reminded me of my grandmother who I knew mm. at that point had already decided that she was donating her body to science. And suddenly I realized what that meant. And mm. it was just this, I just remember thinking like, wow, you know, her trick finger, the little part of her finger that always bleeds. And she wraps it in like mm. you know, masking tape for a week to kind of heal it. And it never heals. I don't, and what it was that actually, now that I'm mm. thinking about it, but she had this trick finger she would talk about. And I was like, she's going to show up in a lab one day and no one's mm. going to know what to do with that little piece of tape. Like, just mm. like brought me to tears thinking about like how powerful it is to to have the responsibility and honor and privilege of, you know, using someone's body mm. to learn and teach others. It's very powerful. Do you think, Doc, like, um, yeah, I, I was even thinking, you know, it's it's an amazing, I mean, you know, we, we have these physical bodies for a season. Uh, matter of fact, my name of my show that I did with you came from a statement you said in the show, which is we're more than a physical body, right? Um, but we do have these things, right? We do have these physical bodies. And I think one thing that's fascinated me in healthcare or working with patients over the years is, and you've probably, you've probably seen this evolution as well. I mean, I've been in practice for like 20 years, but it's changed, right? Like, like we treat pain so ever since like essentially, right? Like opioids and painkillers, like we treat pain so poorly, I think, right. As, um, I understand the, this, the desire to treat pain, right. But not at all costs, right. Not at just like, not at not asking why it's there and why, and what's going on and what might be causing it and all those issues. Uh, we just like to cover and, and mask pain. I bring this up because, you know, when you, you do these work on an older body, I don't know, this is going to sound morbid maybe, but like when you, when you take a, when you're working on a body and you see like a, a degenerated hip, right. Or, a you know, an arthritic spine or a joint that's just part of it is like, gosh, it's almost like, you know, seeing your grandpa's old hands that worked the farm for a long time, right? Like there's stories in that, right? Like we're not, this whole thing is eventually going to be break down, right? Like we're just, and I don't mean that I'm not hopeful for, I mean, my, my, you know, my, I talk about design to heal, but eventually we, we don't, <laughs> right? Right. Eventually we, we don't make it. Um, 
the body has an amazing healing capacity, but there's just something rich about this journey that we're, that we're each on. Okay. And so even when I work with patients, of course, I'm always encouraging them and I'm hopeful for their recoveries, but you know, sometimes the hip pain just doesn't go away. Right. And there's different ways people decide to deal with that. Right. You've got the old tough farm guy that just limps in for 20 years and he's fine with it. And then you got the other person that wants to get an artificial hip and you got somebody else that wants to take pain pills. Right. And I don't really judge it. Um, I'll educate, we'll talk through it, but I don't know people working with people. This is not what I thought we'd talk about today, but it's fun to talk to you about those things. I don't know if any of our listeners, your listeners will enjoy it, but I'm enjoying talking to you about it. They can turn it off whenever they want. Let's keep going. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) But anyway, I I don't know. I think just appreciating people's journeys and uh, their bodies tell a story. And I don't think everything has to be fixed by the way we think it has to be fixed. And I don't mean that again, to sound cavalier about people's pain and suffering. I just think it, it that can often take us down the wrong road just as fast as ignoring things can, right? Um, and but I don't think I don't think it's a, always good every time when we just focus on where's my pain, where's my pain, and how can I get rid of my pain? How can I get rid of my pain? I think that's a, a, a decent question to ask, but I don't think it's the only question to ask. Yeah, uh, and and, I, and, a, and a person might be at a different have a different answer for that at different stages of their life, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on how hard they want to work to recover something, and it's mm-hmm. it's it is important to. And this is part of what being a doctor is, right? Like learning to sort of hold space for people on their journey, regardless of sort of where they want to go with it, right? Helping them articulate the question of what's important next and how can I support you in that goal, as opposed to like, here's my goal for you. Let's get you there, Mm. which is, you know, those kind of doctors I run from. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's changing. I think for so long, I don't know the, the whole timeline, but yeah, there was definitely a season, just whatever they call it, paternalistic medicine or whatever that is, right? Ego, you've talked about it before. I feel like, I, I honestly, but I've never wanted to practice that way. Like I didn't see the value in it. Like wanting to have, I, I don't, I never, I didn't get off on that, right? Like what's the, I can't even, it doesn't even work with my kids. You know what I mean? Like this is not going to work. No, it doesn't work with anybody. People. It doesn't work. I, it's, it's to me the equivalent of banging your head against the wall. Mm. Yeah. Why would you try to change someone in a direction they don't want to change? Like that's, first of all, it's not your journey. Second of all, like you're going to be working really hard and you're not going to get results. Like, is that fun? Mm. That's not so fun. Yeah. And then you just blame them. I usually tell, I tell like the chiropractors that I work with are sometimes younger student doctors. Right. And I say, I I say this to him. I say the minute, if you ever find yourself, you like blaming patients or like getting mad at your patients, like take a break right? Like you're in a bad place, right? Like if you are finding you're like, like step back, all right? Because it's, it, but it's easy to get there, right? I told them like, like my world and the holistic, right? I told them to take this or like, listen, you're not their, you're not their keeper, right? Like, what are you doing? But then all of a sudden it gets this real, like, and then it can get really weird, doc. It can get like, well, I told them to do X, Y, Z and they didn't do that. And that's why they didn't get better. That's not always true. I've had people follow every one of my suggestions right and every one of my recommendations and still not get better right like to the degree that maybe we had hoped or that they had hoped for and that doesn't i mean we can be frustrated by that but that doesn't mean they're bad people or that my recommendations were, were necessarily wrong or, or or evil it just means we're trying to figure this thing out but it, but that requires trust that requires a willingness to kind of you know i trust your intentions you trust mine we're agreeing to work together for a, a bit of a time and our, you know, a season or a long season or who knows. And, um, and then just an honesty about that. And that's, 
But I don't know. Do you think, have you always been like that? Like I've been doing this a long time. I wasn't always like that. I say a long time, 20 years, but long enough to, I think, fail a lot, make a lot of mistakes to learn. I've been humbled a lot. You know, I've gone through seasons. I think the humbling is actually where it starts, right? I think it's, mm. it's that sort of awareness that this is a, this is, these are high stakes games, right? Mm. This is someone's life and health and well-being and future and daily fabric of their existence, the, the existence that you have a potential to impact, right? It's a huge responsibility. And I really want that responsibility not to be on me, mm. ultimately. So if I'm, if I'm driving the show and making the call about what the goal should be and how we're going to get there all by myself, that's all, it's all on me, right? I, I need to partner with my people so that I, I can sleep at night knowing that we have a partnership. This was a decision we came to together based on their goals, not mine, right? With all the information I could provide so that they could make the best decision that's in alignment with their goals. And I think I always have that been that way only because I didn't want the responsibility of having all the control. Yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't. I mean, I know a person can can take that two different ways. Like when you say, "I don't want the responsibility," you don't mean like. Well, you could mean this, but we don't mean like. I mean, like you're a parent, right? I'm a I'm a parent. Like we understand. Like you don't mean like we're not trying to shirk our responsibility as a doctor. Meaning, right? They're in our life. I just mean I don't think it's I don't think it's an appropriate um, amount of pressure to put on any doctor at all, right? I mean, I, I that's just not no. It's now the the model has kind of made the argument that hand your health over to us, right? So, and we'll take care of you and we'll fix you, right? So that is kind of, that illusion has dissolved. But I think, you know, maybe doctors for a certain season that grew up in that model, my model is, I mean, in, even in holistic care, I mean, you see egos all over in healthcare, holistic, traditional, whatever. So my point is just being, I think what you're saying is not that you don't, you don't want, it's not that you don't want the responsibility. It was never really yours, right? Exactly. Like to, it's not to my, take. it's not, it's not my journey. Yeah. I'm yeah. here. And I think part of that comes from just naturally feeling more like a coach on the sidelines than someone who mm -hmm. is like driving all the decisions and playing the game. Like it's there, like they're the, they're the quarterback. Like I'm not mm -hmm. in the game, right. I'm actually on the sidelines with some pom-poms and a playbook and some, mm -hmm. you know, some, hopefully some motivational pep talks, but like, ultimately it's their game. And mm -hmm. I feel like when it's, it's when I, it's when I, and of, of course it's, it doesn't always work out this way, right. There are yeah. times I get over, kind of involved and over invested mm -hmm. in an outcome and want to make sure it goes well. And, you know, I'm getting on the field in a, in a way that I shouldn't be. And that's when mm -hmm. I get frustrated if things don't go my way, because mm -hmm. I'm thinking it's my way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not my way. That's interesting. I just, I just, I saw patients this morning and if you had this one, you probably have to, you first meet them and you think it's, and this is maybe good for, you know, your patients that listen to this and stuff. Like I had a patient that came in and looked just like a super, uncomplicated case right like it was you know in my world i mean there's no degeneration she's fit she's healthy she's a young mom and it just couldn't be going any worse right i mean just like it's just not responding and, and just really struggling i had a re-exam with her today and we're still struggling and she's sweet like you know we're just but but here's my here was the error well i don't know if it was an error here's what i did early on in the in the case or just you know a new patient exam and everything I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be super easy, you know, like, right. Like I, oh yeah. Like we'll have you fixed up in no time and you'll be, you know, and it's interesting because I have no idea about her journey, right. Who am I to say that? I mean, I have my experience, but I mean, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't even know the cause of her pain. She could be getting, who knows, right. Abused at home or I don't, I just don't know. 
and, and so um, today we, we had to kind of have a heart to heart. And it just reminded me the times I get in the most trouble is what you just said. I insert myself in there. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm going to fix her. Right. And it's, it's just always humbling. Um, and the reason I say that that's good for patients, because you might say, why well, these two docs are just here and they're talking, talking shop. Well, not really. I mean, if you can learn what we're saying here, I think it can maybe change your perspective as a patient coming into that, right? Yeah. Um, like we couldn't be more for you than we are. And at the same time, you've got to throw the ball, right? Quarterback to use the metaphor. Like at the same time, I am cheering you on, like wildly cheering you on, right? Like I am, I pray for my patients. I care, I, I'm, it, it consumes me to some, you know, probably unhealthy degree probably, okay? But I can't do it for them, you know? Um, anyway, I know why yeah. conversation here, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of liking it actually. Yeah. It's not often you, you know, and I think people should hear this too. Like you don't mm. have these conversations in medical school. I don't know about chiropractic school, mm. but like there yeah. was no, there's no real part of the curriculum where you're like debriefing and processing about what it is to become a healer and to mm. be on this path and to be cutting up dead bodies. And, mm. you know, it's nice that, you know, we had a, we had a service at the end too. We didn't get to meet the family, but you know, we had a service and that was beautiful, but like, that was it. You know, we'd spent mm. six months yeah. in the trenches with this situation. And then we were like, okay, we had a service. That was nice. Any processing we did, we did on our own. And so mm. it's, 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 I always find it really nice to reflect on the journey with a fellow doctor and talk about kind of what, what scratched the wounds that were there, what created wounds, you know, cause some mm. of it created mm. wounds. It's always really did you, do you have this, I'm now here, I'm trying to interview you again, but um, did you have, I was just thinking, you made me think about, I had a couple of things that were said to me, these, these kind of just side comments in school, right? Maybe an old professor makes that, that stuck with me. One of them, two, two come to mind. And I wonder if you have one or two that are interesting. I remember one, one doctor, he was like old school, right? Silver haired, right? Been doing it forever. And you know, I had 20 kids and, you know, one of those guys, like, I don't even know how he'd live that long to practice for 50 years. And right, and, like, I know you had one of your mentors. I think he talked about it in my call. It's just a real mentor to you. But I remember him. It was like in class and he was like winding down and he's like, OK, guys, I'm going to give you this like clinical pearl. Right. Like kind of get on the edge of your seats. Right. So we're all, all like thinking he's going to give us just the secret recipe for some tincture, you know, or something. And he says, um, sometimes what they really need is a tincture. And we're like, we're sitting there. He goes of time. And I, and I remember being so disappointed at the time, right? Like, Oh, come on. That's what, <laughs> what, like really, but how true it has been. Right. Yeah. How true. I mean, so just use the super simple metaphor of like a bone healing, right? Like a broken bone. Like, what are you going to do? It just got to heal. It may not heal as fast as you want to heal. And you might want to play basketball next week because you had a tournament, but it's, it's just got to heal. And so, it, you know, you were under the weather. I was under the weather. Like I get annoyed, but it's just going to take what it's going to take to run its course. I may take some sort of stuff to help, you know, my body feel better. I might not. Sometimes I just, I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm just going to ride it out and cough and sneeze and sleep and rest. Um, that was one of them. And then another one that was interesting, doc, I'm curious your thoughts on this. It was, um, a, the doctor said, you gotta, you gotta care so much that you don't care. I thought that was weird. I didn't understand at the time, right? You care so much you don't care. And what, what I've learned, what I think what he was saying is there's this tension between like meaning you, you, you're 100% all in, right? 
But then at the same what at the same way, kind of what you alluded to earlier, I can't be so committed to the outcome of their healing, like the what I have for them, that if it doesn't go the way that I that I had hoped, that I'm not devastated, right? Or at, we're or that our life will just be at the roller coaster ride of our patients' outcomes, right? That we sometimes don't have a lot of control over, right? You know, right. whether it's healing Lyme or I don't know all the different stuff you work with. I mean, the, some of the more extreme stuff you work with, the tra traumatic brain stuff, right? Like some of these kiddos and stuff recovery, I'm imagining their ceiling is set to some possibly, I mean, outside of miraculous, just miraculous healing. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any things that you remember that, that people said either that just stayed with you mantras or anything? Well, as a matter of fact, I got the tincture of time lecture as well. Oh, no way. Oh, then he must have yeah. stolen it. Or we had the same professor. Somewhere. Or they grew up in the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Which I, which I, I've used since then as I've aged myself because it is so powerful and it's so true, you know, I mean, cause again, the body is designed to heal, right? If you give it time and the right resources and remove the obstacles, it's going to do its thing, but it yeah. does take time. It doesn't always yeah. happen like as fast as you want it to. Um, I think another one was our, the, the psych clinical psychologist who ran our behavioral medicine curriculum and residency had a way of kind of redirecting us when, when we would get whipped up about how, you know, a patient seems to need this for me and I, I don't know what to do. I need to do something. And he'd say, okay. So, um, <clears throat> oh my gosh, what were the exact words? It's, I'm going to lose the power if I don't say it right. It was like, it's, it's less about, basically it's less about doing and more about being, you know, you mm. just need to be there. Um, do less and be more, I think something like that. But it was, it was mm. powerful because it was a reminder that like, the act of sitting in in presence in presence with someone and bearing witness to their suffering is sometimes the most therapeutic and powerfully healing thing we can do for one another mm. as humans. Totally, totally. And, and I think, this, yeah, go ahead. Just as doctors, we have we're we're mm. so in training, we're so geared at kind of learning the drugs, at least in my mm. profession, the yeah. drugs, learning the interventions, learning the the testing, like all the things. It was, don't just stand there. Don't just, don't just stand. Don't just be there. What was it? Oh my gosh. It'll come around. Yeah. Basically yeah. like this idea that if we're not doing, we're not being what mm. we need to be for our patients. And sometimes they just need us to be, mm. don't just do something, stand there. That's what it was. Mm. Powerful. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. That still sounds almost weird. Doesn't it? Right. Like almost that, even that statement catches you because it feels like, cause we have this illusion that quote doing nothing is from the from that from that perspective is is somehow like we're detrimental i look at it as i often say i'm just i'm just kind of bowing or or surrendering to the wisdom of the body right like when i so like if my kids are under sick or something like that and they have a fever i don't you know i don't want to lower their fever but i don't i don't look at that as i'm not doing anything right i look at that as i'm letting the body which is far smarter than i am right I'm just, I'm letting that do what it's designed to do. So I don't, but, but see, but if you, it's, you know, there's a great statement, right? The quality of your life is based upon the quality of the questions that you ask. So if you're asking bad questions or I think, or just lower level questions, right? Like how do I lower this fever? Then the only answer is going to be some sort of, whether it's a, an oil or a pill or something, right? How do I lower this? Not a better question might be, why is this fever there? Right. That might begin to lead you down a different road. And so I think so many times you're right. We just haven't ever even, we've, we've not even asked the right question from the beginning. Right. And because of that, like, how do I get rid of this pain? That might mean, how do I mask it? Or what pill should I take for this pain? What's the best drug out there for pain? That's a far different question than what's causing this pain. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we often use the metaphor, right. If you have a rock in your shoe and 
there's a million ways to mask that pain, right? Take a pill, don't walk on it, cut it off, you know, but then there'd be the other one, right? Of, you know, take your shoe off, get the rock out. And, and then it's, and then it's gone. Of course, it's an oversimplification, but it's still true. And I think that we've, we've missed many of these things that sound old fashioned. They're just not, they're not old fashioned. They're wisdom, right? They're not, it's not ridiculous. It's, I, I think we've overextended. There's, you know, saying like any, any, strength over an extended is, can be a weakness, right? Time and a place for modern medicine. That's not what we're talking about, you know? That's, but I'm simply saying, but that doesn't mean that every time, all the time, right? And, and that's what we just have to consider when we're working with people. And sometimes, you know, um, anyway, they, I, I, I agree with that, that just letting them, being present with them, gosh, you know, so this is a funny little story. When I first opened my office, my wife, who happens to be an attorney, at the time, she she wanted to work at the office with me, right? So she kind of ran the front, and you know, as we were just starting off doing our little thing, and and um, I remember one day she and she's real. I mean, she's I love my wife. She she's just a good rule follower, right? She's a lawyer, right? And so she she said, "Hey, honey, like, you know, I don't think it's a good idea for you to like be hugging your patients, right? Like after you know, right? People have you know." I said, "Honey, if this is how I go down." like for hugging my patients, like they're going to have to throw me in jail. Like I'm going to give my patients a hug, you know, if for a victory they're having, or they're having a bad day. And gosh, I can't imagine this can maybe sound weird out of context. Right. But I can't imagine not hugging my patients. Right. And I, I can't, can't imagine, know. right. Think about those, those guys, they just crumble in your arms and, and sob for three minutes because, you know, I just had one that lost her spouse, you know, a couple of weeks ago, come on, what are you going to say? No, because some, they might sue you for, I don't even know what, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't go there. I just can't live like that. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Well, that's, that would be practicing fear-based medicine, mm, mm, mm. right? There's evidence-based medicine. And then a lot of doctors practice fear-based medicine, which mm. is, I think where some of that control comes from, because they just want to make sure they've checked off the boxes so that no one can ding them and no one can tell them they didn't do due diligence. Mm. So it becomes this all consuming way of thinking when you're practicing that doesn't leave much room for humanity, unfortunately. Mm. And mm. I, I just want to say like, I am mm. mm. sad for my tribe. You know, I feel mm. like a lot of doctors, you know, most doctors didn't go in, go into being doctors thinking that this was how it was going to be. Mm. They're miserable. They're, a lot of them are just miserable because there's so many constraints and the system is just so broken. But what I really want to talk about is chiropractic. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, as I yeah. said to you before we got on here, I don't think I've, which is strange because I love chiropractors yeah. and I've gone to chiropractors, but I don't think I've interviewed one yet on my yeah. podcast. Well, I'm Welcome honored to being yeah. the first. Yeah. You're, you're blazing the chiropractic trail for us. <laughs> and my listeners may or may not have, have experimented with chiropractic on their own. So I'd love you to give us kind of an overview of maybe a little bit of the history and then kind of what people might expect going to a chiropractor. Awesome. Yeah. Honored to talk about chiropractic. Um, so don't, don't get scared when I say it started in 1895. I'm not going to do the person that says like, tell me about your life. And they say, well, I was born, you know, right. This isn't going to take that long, but I think it's interesting. Okay. For just a second. So chiropractic now there's been people bone setting and, you know, different things for thousands of years. I mean, there's evidence of that hieroglyphics. Like that's not, I'm not talking about that. But when chiropractic kind of came into be, actually was founded in, in Iowa, Davenport, Iowa, fun, funny enough. And the way the story goes, and there's, um, and this is a documented story. There was a, a gentleman, and back then this was when uh, there was different, you know, magnetic healing was a big thing. You saw some of that. And it, and chiropractic started about the same time as as DOs came in. as And the DOs are really blood-based or, you know, blood flow was kind of their model and studying that and, and Dr. Stills. And then 
Dr. Palmer, BJ Palmer, or D.D. Palmer, the founder of chiropractic, they were they were contemporaries. So D.D. Palmer was, you know, it's all about the nerves and and stills was that it's all about the blood and they were both right. You know what I mean? Like it all, it all, it all matters. Right. But anyway, there's old stories of their debates, but the way the story goes is, is DD Palmer. Uh, there was a gentleman who had lost his hearing. He had bent over and he had, a, had heard a loud pop in his neck. And ever since that loud pop, he couldn't hear. Okay. Um, he couldn't even hear like, uh, you know, this is back when horse drawn carriages on the streets. He couldn't, they couldn't hear, he couldn't hear the horses on the streets. Long story short, he just surmised that maybe, if, if something popped in his neck and it made him not hear, maybe he could pop it back and maybe it would help. Well, as the story goes, that's what happened. He got it. He adjusted in the first adjustment in that idea. And this gentleman's hearing came back. All right. Now, who knows? OK, but uh, D.D. Palmer thought he found the cure for deafness. OK, well, he hadn't found the cure for deafness, but this is what happens. Right. So he goes around telling everybody he can get rid of their deafness, but not everybody's hearing came back. But he knew something had happened. Right. Something happened. And, um, and so that began the journey and then it's, you know, it's developed and evolved and we have an interesting history. Um, it was confusing in the early days for a lot of, even with typical medicine, because people were getting better with chiropractic care, but we weren't practicing medicine, right? We were practicing chiropractic. So there was a lot of fights between medicine and chiropractic for a long time. Matter of fact, there was a famous lawsuit in the eighties where we sued the AMA for trying to destroy us and chiropractic actually won that lawsuit. AMA was forced to apologize. There was a concerted effort to try to destroy chiropractic. The only reason I say that is I think a lot of people feel that, meaning there's been, you're either a quack or you're a real doctor, right? Um, if I had a nickel for every time I was called not a real doctor, right, I'd probably be better off than I am practicing chiropractic. But, but that's some of the history of that, right? And so, but the reason it worked is because people kept getting well, right? People, um, and it used to be, I mean, you maybe know some of those stories. I mean, chiropractors were thrown in jails. Uh, there's a school in uh, Life University in Atlanta where they have this room and it's just lined by all the chiropractors that went to jail for practicing chiropractic, right? Because they were told they were practicing medicine without a license. You see this with midwives. Sometimes midwives get thrown in jail, even still, right? So they said they were practicing, you know, medicine without a license. They said, no, we're practicing midwifery, right? But as you know, medicine likes to run the show, right? So they just don't like anybody else in their, in their box. And we don't want to be in the box. We're doing our own box, but they don't, they're not happy with that. So anyway... The, the interesting, so another interesting part, just about chiropractic, and then we'll talk about kind of the philosophy of chiropractic, but um, the reason that chiropractic ended up getting licensed largely in, in the States was during the 1918 flu epidemic. And people were, you know, struggling and not doing well. Well, people that were getting adjusted were seeming to recover better, okay? They were, they were just doing better. And, and nobody really knew why per se, but they just knew if they were getting adjusted. Now, now we know a little bit more of it opening up the chest cavity and its response to immune situations, sympathetic dominance. I mean, just some stuff, but at the time it was just, I don't know, we push on their backs and they seem to recover faster. Okay. That's an oversimplification. Some of my chiropractic friends will be mad at me for oversimplifying this, but, um, but they said, Hey, we got to get more chiropractors licensed so they can provide this to help. So the foundation of chiropractic was really, it was a deaf guy getting his hearing back and then people getting adjusted for their immune systems. Well, now we don't really even think about it like that, right? It's mostly neck pain and back pain, which breaks my heart a little bit because we're, it's much more involved than that, right? Um, just because the body's so amazing, right? And there is this intimate relationship between the brain, you know, brain nervous system, you know, central nervous system, peripheral nervous system, and our physiology, right? There's, that's just how, how God made it. And so chiropractic view and the philosophy of chiropractic, we call it the art, science, and philosophy is that you know, the, the, and nobody disagrees with this. This is anatomy, right? Just your 
brain you know, controls your body. Okay. Right. And if there's interferences in that, then it's going to cause dysfunction, right? It's going to, it's not always like, you know, the extreme you cut the nerve, you know, if I cut the nerve that goes to your heart, that's going to be bad news. But if I put some pressure, like my digestive system, right. is a good example. So there was pressure. It didn't stop my digestive system entirely. It just made it not work the way that it should. Okay. And then over time enough dis-ease built up that I got symptoms and then I masked those symptoms because I didn't know any better instead of trying to get to the cause of the problem. So chiropractic is built on that understanding that the body it's, it's built on a, a vitalistic foundation. Okay. Now for maybe some of your, your viewers, vitalism as contrasted with mechanism, right? Mechanism is this, right? We're parts and pieces only, right? And then vitalism would say, well, no, we think there's more to the story. You're more than just parts and pieces. Yes, you have parts and pieces, but you know, you're more than the sum of your parts. And the simple example I say this live body, dead body, they, they have the same parts and pieces, but one is alive. One is not. Okay. So whatever you call that animated power that we have um, in us. And so we believe that that vitalistic, that, that we're self-healing, self-regulating organ. I say, we believe that. I mean, that's just physiology, but that's our premise, right? Your self-healing, self-regulating organism. Our job is to help the body get what it needs. And the primary focus of a chiropractor would be then through the spine and the nerve system. Okay. Well, the spine as it relates to the nerve system. So of course, extreme examples are maybe uh, scoliosis right? or, or something like that. And we primarily work with something called subluxations. Subluxation meaning not a dislocation, right? Not a, not a full dislocation, but just think of it almost more like a sprain, like a sprain of your ankle, right? A sprain of the spine, something like that. Um, it can happen acutely with a trauma. It can happen more, you know, over time, micro traumas, you know, being on our computers all the time, bad postures, who knows, things like that. So chiropractors, we, now the great thing about chiropractic, we talked about this a little bit earlier off air, I think just holistic care in general, like there is so many different kinds of chiropractors, right? You got chiropractors that real hands-on, you know, cracking and popping, and that's fine. I like that way myself. And then you have the more uh, real light force, right? They use an instrument maybe, or a, the clickers people call them sometimes. I have an instrument I use that's, it plugs in, but it's more of a, a gun, right? That kind of moves the vertebrae. You have people that do almost non-touched, real low force techniques, right? Some almost energetic type of work, all designed to kind of get the spine moving. And then, of course, as chiropractic has, has kind of evolved, you know, there's chiropractors that do a lot with nutrition and toxicities and, fit, you know, exercise and all those different things. Everybody, so the, our scope of practice is broad in that sense. To your point, we don't prescribe medications. You know, that's not in our scope of practice. But, um, but really everything else for the most part kind of falls under our scope of things that we do. So you may go to a chiropractor is my point. And you might have a whole different experience at one to another. Some people think that's frustrating. I think that's actually kind of beautiful. I don't, that doesn't freak me out, right? I mean, find one that is resonates with what type of work you do or what your help you're looking for. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've been getting adjusted, you know, my wife, I got my wife, my kids, they get adjusted, you know, obviously regularly. I've been doing it for a long time, maybe 20,000 patients at this point. And, um, but so I, uh, I'm a little biased, right? I kind of like it. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't know if that answers your question or if that helpful, but. No, that's a great answer. I think that'll really help people as they're sort of trying to consider whether this is something to lean into. You know, I like to teach people like, look, the world is full of way more than what your doctor knows, right? What yeah. your Western trained MD or DO will tell you is out there. You know, we learned that it was like the whole pie and what it's actually mm. is this little sliver mm. of the pie and the rest of the pie, <laughs> the rest of the pie, you know, the world is your oyster. There's a bunch of things to explore. Mm. Um, I was really impressed with, with network chiropractic. Oh, um, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one Powerful. of those ones. Their, their hands aren't even on your body and stuff's yeah. happening. You know, you know, what's funny, Doc. So a couple of things. One, I would say, so to the listener that's maybe here, because here's what I would say on the extreme end, you have a person who says, I'm never going to go to chiropractor because I'm afraid they're going to kill me when they crack my neck. Okay. And I can, I, I can, well, I mean, the risk of that is very minimal to, to nil. Okay. I mean, they've done studies on this. I mean, you're, it's more dangerous turning your head in your car. That's not the point of the conversation. I just mean, but here's what I mean. The things we've been talking about, be an empowered patient. Any doctor that, I, in my opinion, chiropractor or doctor that's worth their salt, when you express your concerns to them, they're going to, they're going to respect your wishes. You know what I mean? Like I, I have many people that just say, Hey, I really don't like it. If that, it kind of freaks me out. Is there any other way that, you know, right. And we have a conversation and there's more than one way to San Francisco. So be in it. So don't let that be the reason that you don't care for your human frame. Okay. Like, I mean, I don't, you know, I see even in your background, you know, you got like a yoga book or something back there. Like, like make sure you're doing like at the end of the day, take chiropractic term out of this, make sure your frame is balanced to the best, right? Like it matters. Okay. So this isn't about trying to get everybody to go see a chiropractor. I wish we didn't even need them. If you, if you think about it, right, let's just, let's take care of what, but we're all on these phones, 12 hours a day and all that kind of stuff. So there is just benefits to a healthy moving aligned spine. Okay. That affect not just your back pain, but your systemic health. So that's one thing. That, that, that I would just want your, your listeners to know or, or to think about, right? Um, yeah, break that down a little bit for us, Ben. Like yeah. what, if someone said like, give me the recipe for like healthy mm. spine for my whole life. Like, are there some like five principles that mm. if you do this every day, you're going to have a much better chance of not needing a chiropractor, not needing a doctor because you're taking care yeah. of your friend. Yeah, so that's a great question. And, and the short answer is yes. Now I would just say, because I've done this a long time, watch any, I was... Today was one, and I see kids, and so I adjust kids, and so I just had adjusted this little like three year old, and then her parents are getting adjusted, and then the little girl is sitting on the chair like the little stool, waiting for her parents to get on, and then falls off the chair, like falls right like kids do, right? And I was like, well, that's why kids need chiropractic, right? Like, or go to the playground or watch your kids learn how to walk. Um, so I am a believer in you know regularly assessing that, okay? Like, because life happens, we live in gravity. So the biggest and just at a kind of a little hard on the phone here, but if you think about today's lifestyle, right, it's seated a lot. You see the numbers, we sit so much, very unnatural posture for the legs to be bent. So like right now, if you just imagine sitting down, you know, your, 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 you know, your quads and your pelvis are being shortened. Okay. Cause the legs are up there. So that's going to get tight. Then that your rolls, your low backs, so your low back kind of gets sucked. You lose that lumbar curve in your low back. Your shoulders get rolled forward. Your head is forward. Like it's the anti posture. Okay. And they've done many studies on this in the, in the medical literature. That's the very stressful breaks down the discs, causes arthritis. And then, you know, that's linked to morbidity and mortality, you know, death and disease. So we want to undo that. There's been many studies that show uh, there was a study that every loss of every, I think millimeter loss of height is correlated to increased risks of uh, heart disease. Okay. Because, mm -hmm. so if you're shrinking, right. And there's, and sitting is the new smoking. You've heard some of those studies out there, right? So we're learning that. Well, I think we asked a question, like any person, you say, well, why is that, right? Well, there's some of it, they call it, they call it um, the um, collapsing, of, they call it the collapsing of the internal organs, right? The shoulders roll forward. You don't get as deep breaths in your lungs because your chest cavity is getting smaller. So, I mean, yoga work, any sort of breathing work, it's opening up the chest, you know, to get, you know, deep, regular breaths, moving that diet, I mean, dia the diaphragm, I mean, these are just, I think of them basic, I'm trying to like, 
think about it because this is how I live, right? Like, but for a person that doesn't live this way, it's almost radical, right? Like they have never considered their posture. They just, they don't even think about it, right? They sit on their, their phone. So anything that undoes gravity is a really good start, okay? And we kind of think of it just as almost spinal teeth brushing, right? You brush your teeth a couple times a day. Awesome, great. Well, just think about your spine the same way. So anything that, for the most part, for us, it's extension, right? Extension, shoulders back, neck, you know, up in extension. Now, of course, I'm not doctoring over the airwaves here, right? Like if you've got underlying issues and rods and spots, you're like, don't be like, I watch this video and Dr. Ben told me to, you know, get on the ground. No, like use your mind, brain here. But you should, if you don't, if it's hard for you to do normal, basic spinal motion, flexion, extension, rotations of your different body, like that should be, that should be a concern for you. Okay. Just like when you were not doing well in your healing journey, you didn't say, well, it's just probably normal to like be in bed for five months. Right. Clearly something was wrong. Okay. Now what that was, that's the journey. Um, so I don't know what we always find the answer, but anything you can be, some people do, and I'm a fan of them. Some people do like um, inversion stuff, right. You know, the, those, I think they're great. There's a few reasons you shouldn't, you know, certain the high blood pressure, glaucoma. I mean, there's a risk factors, but if you don't have any of those, it's a good idea. You're on doing what gravity does. So that is, that is a good exercise balls. I recommend for people, the big, the big balls that people, you know, like yoga balls laying on them, just letting your shoulders open up, you know, opening up that pack, those things. And it's just good all over. I mean, we know this innately, we know this instinctfully, right? When we're in this terrible bog down, like you, you don't feel good. You don't look good. Right. You don't, you're not getting oxygen into your tissues. Um, all those things matter. And then the last thing I'll just say about it, doc, well, a couple of things. Sleeping, okay, sleeping posture really matters. I know these are the basics, but some people, right, it's just they never thought about it. So if you're sleeping with like a bunch of pillows under your head and you're flexing your neck forward and you're sleeping like that, all night, that's tough on your body. Or stomach sleeping is pretty difficult for people, okay? Well, difficult on the body because you're sleeping with your head in rotation all night, okay? So it's literally like rotating your cervical spine all night long, tough on your chest cavity. Oftentimes it's, it's a little bit abnormal. So back, back, is okay. Side sleeping is good, right? Both of those are kind of better. Just be, be reasonable about it. And then um, the last little bit from a spinal perspective is hydration. So many people, and then not a surprise here, they're chronically dehydrated. And the reason that matters for us is, yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Everybody well, our discs, yeah, our discs are, you know, well, our bodies are a lot of water anyway, but the little discs cushions in between your spine, you know, they're, they're 90% water. So I've had people with chronic back pain, Right. And they want to come in and get the magic adjustment and think that's going to fix everything. I said, you just got to start drinking. I, I'll give you one quick story. This lady came in chronic low back pain. She was a mess. We were having, we were doing her intake form and she said, well, uh, you know, what do you drink? And she said, well, I drink eight diet Cokes a day. Okay. Right. I know it's, I'm always amazed. I'm always fascinated. I know we don't judge, but I'm fascinated. How about that? Okay. And um, I said, well, Hey, if you would consider maybe less of that, give it a shot. And she worked, I think she worked at a hospital, like administration. And I said, um, and anyway, she started drinking water. Long story short, her back pain goes away completely. Okay. Because, you know, it just reduced inflammation and her discs were staying more hydrated. So it had more room to, you know, move and, and her joints were healthier. And so I know some of those sound simple, but honestly, that's most of healthcare. It's not complicated. Eat, move, you know, right. Like eat good, get rest, do those things, get outside. And yes, there's a time and a place things get a little squirrely, a little complicated, but um, so I hope that's helpful. That's really helpful. The last thing you said reminded me of an Instagram post I saw recently. This woman was saying, 
a lot of people are talking about these new, you know, exciting things that you can do. The truth is it's actually not that complicated. <laughs> like before you go spend $500 on a cold plunge yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or follow whatever Huberman said to do last week, why don't you try <laughs> just eating whole real foods? Why don't you try sleeping? Uh, I mean, at the basics, right? The basics get you a long yes. way. Remember the Have first you, did, yeah. yeah. Okay. What were you saying? Well, I, I remember just, when, um, I don't know what it's up to now, but when we were in school, they used to say like, they would tell you like, Hey, you know, I think when I was there 18 years from now, everything you learn is going to be obsolete, something like that. Right. And now it's probably up to like six months or something. I don't know what the latest is, but you know, I was saying this just the other day to somebody like when I graduated 20 years ago, it wasn't nothing. There was no cold plunging. Okay. Like that wasn't, you didn't have to cold plunge or die. Okay. Not everybody was doing keto. Okay. Not everybody's doing carnivore, whatever. And I'm not knocking those things, right? They have value. I believe that they can be helpful, but we just get in these fads. And so I've seen in you know, your career too, like I've seen, like, I've been through like 12 fads now. Right. You know, and, um, and, and I, I'm fine. People can do their thing, but like you said, stick to those basics because here's why, here's why it, I struggle with, it, especially in holistic healthcare. And you probably see this doc people that they say, okay, I don't want conventional medicine for some reason, right? They've had a bad experience. It's not their philosophy. I, I can appreciate that. I'm fine with that. But then they think they need 48 alternative therapies to survive, right? And it's like, if they don't have their acupuncture and their yoga and their chiropractic and their oils and their supplements and their cold plunge and their sauna and their this, and again, those I think all are beneficial, but I think some people can get so stressed the other way that it can be just as dysfunctional. Okay, They've, they, they can be just as disempowered because they feel if they're not doing these 80 different things, then they're not going to get well. And I just don't believe that has to be the case. I'm, I'm, I'm almost ultra conservative in that way. Let's introduce a few things, right, to that. Per so I might meet somebody that says, listen, I, I, I just had this happen the other day. This lady, she's really upside down in her lifestyle, smokes a pack and a half a day, lives at the gas station, food, right? And, and, but she just got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and they want to put her on methotrexate and she's now she's waking up. She doesn't want to do it. Right. I said, well, okay. And she goes, but I can't, I'm, I, I'm not ready to quit smoking. I said, okay. Like, okay. She said, but I'll, but I'll, I'll change what I'm eating. I said, all right. Right. So like, we're going to start there. Okay. So my point is because it's like anything, right. We're in the first, we're in the first part of the year, everybody did their new year's resolutions. And then right. Whatever the study is most have quit by now. Okay. So don't, my encouragement, even to holistic minded people is just check yourself, right? It isn't, you don't, sometimes you can get on a wild train of holistic care thinking you need 800 different therapies holistically. And I just don't, I don't believe that to be true. I think it becomes just a burden and it becomes expensive. And then people say, see, I can't afford to do that either. I'm not going to do anything. And then they throw everything out. Right. I don't know what your take on that is, but. No, I think that's true. And one of my favorite things to say is, to say is listen, if you can't sustain it, by definition, mm. it's not sustainable. Like mm. don't set yourself up for failure by, by like creating this ridiculous list. That's never going to get past Sunday, you know, pick mm. the things you can actually do. It's like, people say like, what's the best exercise for you? The one you're already doing, like the thing yeah. you're already doing is the best because that clearly, if you sustain that till now build on that. And the same is true for all the other things. I think, um, the other issue that comes up is that people are externalizing control of their, of their process to all these things. Mm. They're, they're sort of giving the power away to the, the cold plunge and forgetting that their body can do this. You don't have, it's not yeah. that you have to put more things into your life. You usually have to take things out and that yeah. can be very freeing for people. Hmm. That's a good word. I, I, I think even you talking about that, 
that external, right, whatever, you know, the external locus of control or, you know, the different terms. I think that's so not understood, right? And I know people, right, they want to find the guru. They want to find you, right? Even in that world, they want to find you. Now, listen, there is nothing. Uh, do you struggle with this, Doc? I'm just curious, your perspective. You know, I, I'm fascinated by like placebo and nocebo and all these different, you know, and I like reading about them and some of the studies on them are so fascinating. So I do think it's great when a person comes to us hopeful, right? And willing and, and excited and believes that we can be helpful to them. I do think that's a positive thing for the, for the care, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage that, right? Like, but not in a false way, not in a egotistical way, but I'm glad they're excited, right? And I want to use that, use that for their benefit, you know, for them. Um, and again, I think that's why I say we take, I take this very seriously. Like, we don't want to manipulate people. We don't want to take advantage of them in a time of often their greatest, many times one of their greatest sufferings, right? I mean, when people are in desperate situations, they'll spend, they'll pay you a lot of money, right? They'll, they'll do things right out of fear. And I don't want to manipulate that. And then at the same time, not at the same time, but, but there's a part of that perspective of hope that they're having in you that can be very beneficial, right? Like meaning maybe they are ready. And I, I do have like, how do you think about that? Or how do you, how do you, how do you coach that to your people or to yourself? Or I'm just curious, I'm more asking you, cause I don't know if I have that figured out. I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't know thoughts. if I do either, Ben. I do think hope is very powerful. Um, I'm not sure I've ever understood what false hope means, you mm -hmm. know, like, isn't by yeah, definition either hope or hope. not. Yeah. I'm it's with either you. hope or not. Like you either believe that there could be a, a way out of this, even if you don't know the path yet, or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I think if people show, often people show up and they say at the end of the visit, I feel hopeful finally. And I like to, you know, I haven't ever said this to anyone, but I always am reflective on the fact that they showed up first. Like they came mm. here first. There's some part of them that's hopeful enough to just show up in a new doctor's office and try something new or even give themselves the possibility of hearing something new. Yeah. And so I, I want to honor people for when, when you're taking a step, even if you feel like you've lost all hope, if you're taking a step, if you're listening to this, listening for words that might be, you know, encouraging or useful on your journey, then your hope is still there, even if you're not in touch mm. with it every day. Mm. And so one of the things I think I, I see myself as is a reminder that hope is still there. And sometimes they don't have to even be the ones expressing hope. They're just holding on to the fact that they know I have hope and I have a belief that they can heal. And I'll tell that to people sometimes like you can't touch that right now, but I'm willing to hold that for you. And you can remind yourself every day that I believe you can heal and that I have yeah. hope that you will heal from this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And I think, and, and with that goal, right, like you said, at some point that transfers, at some point that light bulb goes off, right, where that locus of control or that, that, that understanding of, right, that, you know, it's inside, you know, some level of control, however, we fully understand that, I don't know, but right, like, but without that, it's, you're, you're really, and we live in interesting times right now in this world, right, that I think that, that reality, I, I think people have given up. Um, you know, it's been very destabilizing, you know, mm -hmm. just the last few years for people, right? What does a future look like? What does it look like right now? What is, you know, those kinds of things. Those are very real uh, questions, you know, that people have. And to your point, you know, I think I really like that, the way that you, that you put that. I'm going to, I say that sometimes like this, like if you came in, like if I was a marriage counselor and somebody came into my office, 
wanting marriage help or marriage therapy, like all you want me thinking about is your complete, you know, whatever healing or reconciliation or, or, you know, the greatest marriage ever anything me holding any other space is not really helpful. Right. Like you don't need me thinking like, Oh, well, maybe you won't make it or, Oh, that was pretty bad. You know, no, um, that's just not good. It might be, it might be true, but it's not going to help us in that situation. Right. You need me to be having full faith in your victory. And, and even, and, and, and it's just, I think it's just the only healthy approach. Now doing that in a way of, I think we owe it to them to explain why I feel that way for them. Right. Like not this, you know, voodoo thing. I just mean like just really physically, physiologically, that's very likely for you. Right. Um, and that's how we're going to approach this. And at some point, hopefully they'll, they'll be encouraged enough to absorb that themselves. I just think they've been so beaten down oftentimes, right. They've been told they can't heal. They blame their, it doesn't matter mm. their genetics, their well, life. I just, their, yeah. yeah. I mean, even the doctor who's who dealt with you at 19 and told you you'd mm. be on these drugs for life. I mean, the implication of that is you're broken and you're going to need this fixing for life. Like yeah. that's just so it's almost like a curse was thrown at you with that, with those words. <sighs> I do think, I do think to some degree, I know this might be a little much for some people, but I think, you know, I mean, life and death and the power of the tongue, some of the, some of the words that are spoken are like a spell, right? And it can be good or bad. I mean, right? Like it works both ways. And so sometimes these, it's one of the struggles I have with certain, you know, with how quick we are to label things. I just think it's, I don't think it's great. We used to say this in chiropractic school. Um, I remember that same wise silver hair guy I was talking about, right? He said, I remember he taught our philosophy class and he put up the, one time he talked about this when somebody lives, somebody, if somebody dies when they're a hundred, it says, um, and I'm picking on the medical model, right? It said medicine asks how they died, right? Chiropractic asks how they lived, right? Mm -hmm. We're the study of life. That was kind of the, the argument that he was making. But I think that's what we're, we're getting at here or trying to get at, right? Is, is that, that perspective, right? At the end of the day, what we're talking about here is living, right? The, getting as much life out of these years that we have, vitality, right? I mean, um, there was a study I saw recently, Doc. Um, I think we lead, we lead the world in like, they give it different names, but I think this was like potential life lost or, you know, you're, you know, those years you're alive, but you're not healthy, right? I don't remember. They different different names, but that, and I think it's up to like 12 years or something crazy like that, right? Like the last 10 or 12 years of a person's life, they're alive, but they're not really thriving, right? Uh, and it was, you know, unique to America, at least at some degree. And that's not what anybody's after. I don't think that's not what we're, what we're talking about here or what people wanting. And so we need to introduce a new, a new narrative or a new, a new way to look at this um, that's been lost. And I think people are scared and confused and frustrated and they don't know, they don't know where to turn, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been interesting talking to you about all this stuff because making me think about stuff. Very interesting. Is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you want to leave this, this audience with anything that would be either encouraging to people who are dealing with complex, complex, chronic, debilitating symptoms, suffering in silence and without a team, what would you want to leave them with? Mm. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give a couple thoughts. You know, there's, cause I, I see a lot of those people in a different capacity that, that you, I know you really specialize in that. So you see them because you specialize in it. I don't really specialize in it. I see it because they don't have anywhere else to go. 
right? I see it because they've been, you know, bankrupted by the medical system or it didn't work, right? They've, they can't afford 300 other, you know, they're just, they don't know where else to, to turn. And we're a pretty, we're just a pretty wide open, arms open kind of place, right? I don't turn people away. I, I give away a lot of care. I just, that's just how I practice my life. I don't take insurance. So we just, we're just like, just how we, it's just how I roll, right? And so the reason I'm saying that is um, some people feel like I can't, I don't live in your town, right? I don't have access to this. I'm, I'm too far gone. I've seen too many, um, I've just seen too many miraculous things happen in people's lives when they finally, maybe you can clean this up for me, doc, but because it can come sound a little bit rude, what I'm going to say, but when, when people really are finally ready to heal, I've seen miraculous things happen. And some people will say, what are you blaming the patient, blaming the victim? Blame, you know what I mean? That's not what I'm saying here. I just don't know what better way of explaining it right now. So if you're watching this my, and you are been through hell and back, right? I think of your story that you shared so bravely on my show, right? Um, a lot of that is miraculous, right? I know you give credit to those, you know, that you met and have helped you and encouraged you. Um, and physiologically, I don't even know if we really understand what some of what happened to you, right? Um, and you deal with complex cases and Lyme, I know, and stuff, and it's very real. But I still just want people to be, to leave. You talk about leaving space. So here's what I'll say. Leave space for a miracle, okay? Like, just leave. Like, you don't have to have a perfect organically clean diet and a perfect, you know, meditation every day. Like, have those things if you can beautiful. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, but don't, but, but also just leave space for just healing. You just healed just because you healed, you know? And, um, and I just, I want that for people because I don't want a person to feel they're dependent on, you know, any system of care, whether it's mine or yours or traditional meds or whatever else. So maybe if there's a better way to, to say that, I don't want to offend your listening audience, but um, hmm. I didn't find anything offensive in that, Ben. I think it's beautiful. And I think it's really honest. And I, it's an important thing for people to hear. I mean, and in a sense, it really, it really is an actionable step, right? Okay. That might seem out of reach this whole like, oh, you mean I should just leave open the possibility that I could heal? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You, yeah. And if you can't get there today, that's your, that's the muscle that you flex until it's strong mm. enough. to. Yeah. Mm. Because it's, it's kind of important. I mean, if it's truly, if it's truly, if it's, if it's true that our mind and our thoughts and our emotions mm -hmm. have any impact on our physiological health, which there are countless studies that show they do. And I've seen yeah. hundreds of times in my practice, how powerful it is for people to make that shift of like, oh, I want to live. I mean, that was my story, right? I had to make that shift. Oh, I choose to live. And I think people um, forget that that's one of the most important things they can do is leave open the possibility and aim themselves in the direction of, okay, I'm going mm. for healing. Mm. Do you, do you know, doc? So yes. And it sounds better you saying it than when I said it, I think, because it just, it sounds nicer coming from you for some reason. But um, you know, in the scriptures, there's the time that the guy said he had been an invalid for 38 years. Right. And he's sitting there. Right. And 
he cries out uh, to Jesus to, to and, you know, and he says, and Jesus says, to him, he says, the question is, well, there's two ways it's asked. He says, do you want to be well? Okay. But that word translated really, he asked him like, basically, do you want to be whole? Now you just think to yourself, first of all, he's Jesus. So does he really need to ask? And second of all, kind of what a dumb question, right? This guy is an invalid. He's laying there. Like, of course he wants to be well. I mean, this would be what our brains would maybe say. You've worked with patients I have for a long time too. Not always the case. Okay. And I think there was something powerful about him having to articulate and say, yes, I think that the teacher was asking him that just as much for him. I mean, for him than himself, he knew the answer. He was saying, you need to say it. Okay. So when they reach out to you or they call my office or whatever, they do whatever. The, and you may, and we may even assume like, and I agree with you. They said, Hey, you must have some hope left. You called me, you reached out, but I'm still going to ask you, do you want to be well? Not, do you want me to fix you? Not, do you want me to help you? Do you want to be well? And what that all means, right? Because, right. You're going to, you're going to keep being a mama and you're going to have to keep working and keep paying your bills. And, and when my, when my dad was passing away, you know, at a fairly young age, you know, he was, he didn't want to live anymore. Right. And I couldn't convince him of it differently. And he was, you know, I mean, that was, and it stinks when you're the kiddo, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But um, so it, I think that is, interesting. you know, that's what I, that's all I talk about, designed to heal. My belief is trying to help people believe they're designed to heal because some people never thought about it that way. They don't think of that. Now they don't not think about it. They just think like, well, I don't know. I'm designed to get disease because doesn't that what we all get? And I guess I'm going to die someday. So I guess I'm not really designed to heal. And it's kind of like time out. Okay, there's more to that story. Let's just unpack this a little bit. So when you can understand that right now, as we've been on this call for, you know, an hour plus, your body, here's, I often say this to patients or to people, right? In all of history, in all of humankind, you know, all the scientists of the world have never, they've never built one single cell from scratch, right? They've never like put all the little pieces together and made an organelle and made cytoplasm and built a cell wall. And then like, and then even if they could do that, they, ha- they can't they be like, okay, now life, right? And, and then like start life. And, and I'll go on to say, I don't, think that, I don't think that they will. And I don't think we need to. Now we can manipulate it. We can clone it. We can, you know, do all that, but we can't make that. Now, that being said, in the hour plus we've been on this call, the power inside of your body has made probably millions, okay? And replicated millions and done things and killed cancer cells. So if you can be in awe of that, like if you knew how great the great doctor working inside of you is right now, you would have so much confidence in your healing that you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't even need to call us, right? You'd be like, I got it, right? Now, sure, if you want to call us and we can hang out and have tea together, that sounds like fun. But like, that's where the power's at, okay? And so that's my prayer for people is be in awe of that because that's amazing. And that those trillions of cells doing trillions of things a second that are operating and doing all the things that we can't even understand. And we still don't understand like, yes. Right. And that's empowering. That's exciting. And it is, and it's powerful. And so that's probably what I wanted to try to say this whole time, but it just took me to the end to get to it. <laughs> well, I'm glad it took us an hour to get there because it's been such a fun journey. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for this great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. We've had, it's, it's a, it's fun to talk, you know, you know, Doc, and I know you were on a different journey from the beginning, but one of the blessings I think of, of COVID, if I can say it that way, is it brought different doctors together. I just think we all, I'll say for myself, I got more open-minded, right? Because I learned about some doctors like you that are out there that are saying, hey, I'm not happy with it either. 
right? And I think there's better ways, right? And I know you were awake before that, but, you know, and so it's just brought, I think it's created new conversations that are super, and ultimately the people that win are the patients, right? And the people that are looking for different help. So I think I've enjoyed these because number one, I just learned things, but number two, they're just enjoyable, right? We're far, we're far more alike than we are different, if you will, as the old saying goes. But Yeah, I agree. I would call that COVID silver lining number 712. <laughs> Wow, well, you you are you are more optimistic than me if you're up to seven hundred and twelve. But God bless you for seven hundred and twelve. Will you send me the seven hundred and eleven other ones that you have? Oh, I'm probably at, I'm probably at like forty. I'm at like maybe forty or thirty five. <laughs> I may have added a decimal point. I, I may have I may have gone beyond what I actually have collected. But seriously, a lot of different gifts have come out of that that tragedy. That's true. All right, my friend. Good to talk with you. Thanks again for your time and your pearls of yes. wisdom. It's been a great conversation. Yes. Well, thank you for having me and the work that you do and your group and your people. Um, it's awesome. And um, I'm sure we'll talk again soon, Doc. I'm sure we will. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healing Grove podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you want to deepen your experience further, consider grabbing a copy of the Healing Grove Playbook. With journal prompts for this podcast and 41 others, it's the perfect place to record your learnings, keep track of the tools you explore, and reflect on your own experience. Finally, it's important to mention that even though I am a doctor, nothing you hear on this podcast, whether from myself or my guests, constitutes medical advice. Any intervention you try should always be discussed with and supervised by a trusted member of your own healing team. Thanks for listening and see you next time in the Healing Grove.